Amen. You may be seated this morning. We'll take your Bibles today and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. As we continue our study through the book of Philippians, we're in Philippians chapter 2 this morning, verses 12 through 13. Some of my favorite verses in all of the book of Philippians, and what I believe may be one of the most helpful texts of scriptures that is found for us in this wonderful, encouraging book written by the Apostle Paul. I think this will resonate with many of you who have sought to walk with the Lord for some period of time, but I have realized that in my about 27 years of trying to walk with Jesus, the vast majority of my frustration in life is caused by the distance between who I actually am and who I want to be. So, so here's the man that I want to be, the husband I want to be, the father I want to be, the pastor I want to be. He, this is him over here. And here I am in reality. And there is a massive distance between the two. Any of us who are self-aware and who understand ourselves and understand Scripture will understand that there is a distance in all of our lives between the person that we long to be and the person that we actually are. And I've just found that most of my frustration in life is caused by that distance. I wish it wasn't such a great distance. But one of the things the book of Philippians teaches us that's extremely important is that even though that distance is a reality and will be a reality until we're glorified, the truth is this, God is in that distance. That God is in that space between who we are and who we want to be. That in that distance, God is working. And God is moving. God is active in the lives of his children. God is continually with perfect wisdom conforming us and molding us and making us into the people that he wants us to be. And God knows exactly how to do that best with the right amount of pressure, with the right amount of suffering, with the right amount of difficulty, with the right amount of circumstances to do everything in the exact right way to make sure that we get from this place to this place. God is in the middle of that distance. This is exactly what he tells us in Philippians 1.6. He says, he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news? That God has promised that if he started a work, he will complete that work. And some of those moments in our lives, as God is working and moving, seem incredibly fast and obvious. We all go through these seasons where it's just clear, God is working in us, and we are growing, and we're bearing fruit, and we're conquering sin, and it's clear to us and those around us, and there are other seasons in which it's not so obvious, and not so quick, where it seems as if the process is slow, and we wonder if God is moving in our lives at all, but the reality is, is that God is working. Philippians reminds us of another very important truth when we think about the distance between who we are and who we want to be. The book of Philippians teaches us that not only that God is working in that distance, but that we are not to be passive in that distance either. 
is that in this process of growing in Christ's likeness, in this process of becoming the man or the woman that God wants us to be, we do have a role to play. This is not simply God doing his work while we passively wait and watch. We have a very active role to play if we are going to be the person that God has called us to be. Listen, salvation is not simply the story of God's continued work in our lives. Salvation is also the story of our continued effort in this process. That is exactly what Paul is getting to in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Now, now remember the context that Paul is writing to this church that he loves because he longs for them to be together for the gospel. That's the point of the whole book, Philippians 1, 27, striving side by side for the sake of the gospel. The only way that's ever gonna be possible is if every member of the church embraces the selfless humility of Christ. So he just spent 11 verses, chapter two, one through 11, pleading with them to become like Jesus, to take upon themselves the selfless humility of Christ, to die to themselves, to surrender to their rights, to give themselves to the needs of others. And after he finishes this call for all of us to embrace the life of Christ, he then answers the most obvious question of all. How does that happen? I mean, we see this model of Christ and who we are to be and his humility and the selflessness and the surrender that he lived. And then the question is this, well, God, how is it, practically speaking, that, that I make progress in Christ-likeness? How does this work? That's exactly what he's going to tell us. That if we want to grow in Christ-likeness, is this God's work? Is this our work? Is this faith or is this works? Is this just letting go and letting God? Or is there some effort that is demanded here by the follower of Jesus Christ? And listen to how Paul answers that in Philippians 2. If you're there at Philippians 2, verse 12, say amen. amen. Listen to what he says. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now... Not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, this is one of those verses that if I were just to say it to you and not to read it to you from the word of God, you might think I'm a heretic. If I were just to get up this morning and say, you need to work out your salvation, you'd say, whoa, 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 pastor. Listen, we don't work in salvation. There is no works involved in our salvation. But the truth is, is that Paul says very clearly, as a direct command to believers you are to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That has to mean something, doesn't it? Now, one of the things important for us to remember as we're trying to understand this is that when the Apostle Paul talks about salvation, he views it as a process from eternity past to eternity future. If you want more clarity on that, look at Romans 8, 29 through 30, where he talks about looking at salvation from eternity past all the way to eternity future. 
that Paul talks about salvation in all kinds of different terms. He talks about it in past tense, present tense, and future tense. There are times in Paul, which Paul will say, you have been saved, past tense. He will also say, you are being saved, present tense, and you will be saved, future tense. He's talking about the different aspects of salvation. We would call this justification, sanctification, and glorification. So yes, there is a moment that apart from any works that you could ever do, you are justified, meaning you are declared righteous by God because you have trusted in Jesus Christ alone as the payment for your sins. You have trusted his death, his perfect life, his resurrection, his ascension as the means by which you can be saved. And by receiving of what Christ has done, apart from anything you can do, simply by placing your trust in Christ, you are declared righteous and you are saved. Listen. Salvation is not simply a one-time moment in which something happens to you and nothing else happens. That is the beginning of a new life in which you enter into a process of sanctification that goes from the moment you're saved to the moment you die. And it is in that process in which we are commanded to work out the salvation that God has already worked in. And we do that until the moment of glorification when our salvation is complete and all of our sin is done away with and we're free from all of the consequences and all of the reality of sin when we go to rest with him in eternity and I can't wait for that moment. But until then, there is a role that we play in this sanctification process. And there are two parts of this that must be balanced. Now, I'm, I'm going to ask you, you're going to have to listen carefully this morning. I told Andrea last night, I said, this is one of those sermons where if I don't think through this carefully and articulate it carefully, I actually could be a heretic, okay? But there are two sides of this that must be understood. Our role and God's role in this process of sanctification. So, two sides of this I want you to get down are this. The first one is this. Salvation, write this down, salvation demands an ongoing work of your will. Salvation demands an ongoing work of your will. Now Paul is about to give a command here. Work out your salvation. But I just want you to notice what he does before he gives a command. And if you read Paul carefully, you will notice he always does this. That Paul is direct and Paul will get in your face and Paul will call you out in your sin and command the church to deal with sin. But have you ever noticed he always does it in the context of affirmation and acceptance? He says, therefore, my beloved, my beloved, I love you, church. I want you to know how much I love you. You're, you're mine. We're in a family together, and I love you deeply. And he also affirms them. You have always obeyed. You've been a model of obedience. Philippian church, you, you have obeyed since the very beginning. I love you. And in the context of affirmation and acceptance, in the context of great affection, he does give them direct commands. One of the, one of the things I've learned from studying the Apostle Paul is that this is a great model for just life in general. 
This is a great model for being a father or a mother, a husband or a wife, a pastor or a friend. God calls us to speak the truth in people's lives. He calls us to say what is right. He calls us to call out sin. But he also calls us to do so in an atmosphere of affection and acceptance. Listen, I love you. I'm so thankful for you. But listen, brother and sister, I need to tell you the truth of what God wants to say to you. This is what Paul is doing. So he loves on them, he encourages them, and he gives them this one command. Here it is, work out your own salvation. Now that word work there is different from the next word work we're going to see. This word work means this ongoing effort of bringing something to completion. This effort of bringing something to completion. Now, he does not say work for your salvation because that's impossible. He doesn't say work in your salvation, meaning work until you get salvation in you. He doesn't say that because you can't work for your salvation and you can't work in your salvation, but he does command you to work out your salvation, indicating that there's something already in there, that you've got to work out. Now, remember the story of the Philippians. This is helpful. Remember Acts 16 when Paul planted the church in Philippi and he was looking for a synagogue because that's what he always did and he couldn't find one. So he went outside of the city and he went to a little women's Bible study and he preached the gospel to a bunch of women. And there was one woman who gave her life to Christ. Her name was Lydia. And it says in Acts 16, 14 that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention. You say, why was Lydia the one that got saved? Because the Lord opened her heart to pay attention. She paid attention because the Lord was working in her heart. And so Lydia got saved because of the work of God. And then in chapter 1 of Philippians verse 6, it says, God is working in you. And he will complete a work in you because he is the one who began a good work in you. Who started the work in you? God started the work in you. And then he goes in chapter 1, verse 28, and he says, Don't be frightened in anything by your opponent. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. God began a work in you. God opened your ears to be able to understand. God is the one who gave you your salvation, verse 28. And then in Philippians 1, 29, he says this, For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe, but to suffer. It has been granted to you that you should believe. So Paul is emphasizing over and over that salvation, listen, is a gracious gift of God. You cannot earn it. You can't be good enough to get it. It is a gracious gift of God. God demands perfection to be in his presence. Well, how can you be perfect? By receiving the perfect life of Christ. You cannot Work for your salvation. Paul just emphasized it three times in one chapter. Salvation is a gracious gift of God. It is something that at the moment you receive Christ, God graciously gives to you. So he's saying, listen, God has given something to you. He has graciously given you this salvation. The command is now to take that which has been put inside of you and to work it out. I think the word therefore helps us in verse 12. You see that first word, therefore, my beloved? 
Therefore, in light of what he just said, what did he just say? He talked about the, the, the humiliation of Christ as he descended from heaven and he came to earth, giving of himself for us that we might be saved. So Christ who left heaven and came to earth and lived a perfect life and died a criminal's death on our behalf so that we could have a relationship with God. Therefore, because Jesus died for you, therefore, because Jesus made your salvation possible, therefore, because you have received the gracious gift of God, therefore, because God at the moment of salvation gave you a new heart and new desires and new passions and made you born again, therefore, because of everything that God has done in you, work out your salvation. My favorite definition of that phrase there, work out, is by a theologian, Peter O'Brien, and he says this, the word work out means sustained, strenuous effort. Sustained, strenuous effort. So what Paul is saying is that believers who have received the gracious gift of salvation, it is now your responsibility with sustained, strenuous effort, with great diligence to work out that salvation that God has graciously given you. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying that at the moment that you got saved, God changed your will. For the first time ever, he gave you new desires, he gave you new wants, and now what Paul is saying is that you are to take that spirit-empowered will that has been given to you and pursue with all of your might holiness and righteousness and spiritual growth. Take your spirit-empowered will and pursue spiritual growth. I was preaching one time from 2 Peter chapter 1. I love that passage, verses 3 through 8 there. Paul talks about our salvation, and Peter does. And, and he says in that passage, he says, Make every effort to add to your faith virtue. Listen to this. Make every effort to add to your faith virtue. So the command there is to work on virtues, like patience and kindness and compassion. So I was preaching on the need to, to work on virtues, work hard at being more patient and compassionate and kind. And someone came up to me after the service and rebuked me for preaching a works salvation. What they said was this, is the way that it works is you simply walk in the spirit and as you walk in the spirit, the kindness, the compassion, the joy, all of that just comes out of you. You don't work, you simply rest. Now that sounds great, and it preaches great, and it often, albeit not this morning, gets a lot of amens. <laughs> we're, we're making progress. We're doing better. A long ways to go. There's a distance between, okay. <laughs> and it's great on a bumper sticker, just let go and let God. The problem is that's not what the New Testament teaches. The New Testament teaches this, is that God, in an act of incredible grace, has put inside of you his spirit, giving you the ability to work. And now he says, when it comes to things like patience and kindness and compassion, you don't just wait for God to develop those in you, you work at the development of those Christian virtues. Second Peter 1, make every effort to add to your faith 
virtues. Listen, salvation is not simply this passive process in which we give our life to Christ and then we just kind of, kind of rest and God just takes care of everything. There is a place in which we rest. We rest in the finished work of Christ, meaning I don't have to work to get God to love me or accept me. But because I have been accepted and loved by God and because now I long to be like him, I give my greatest effort to that which is most important. And have you noticed, we don't do this with any other area in our life except our spiritual life. Like we never say, I really want to be a better golfer. I'm just going to let go and let God. Like I'm just going to let God take my swing. I really want to be a better piano player. Lord, I just surrender my fingers to you and just, just not your, my will, but your will be done. Just I'm going to let go of my fingers and let God. No, it's ridiculous. If you, if you wanted to be a better piano player, you know what you do? You would work. So we apply the exact same thing to our life with Christ. You say, listen, I want to be a a more Christ-like man or woman. Well, then use your spirit-empowered will to work. Sustained, strenuous effort. You could say it this way, gospel-fueled effort. By the reality of who you are and the God that is working inside of you, now work. Apply diligence to your relationship with Jesus Christ. And look at what he says. He says, work out your own salvation. I love that because it's a reminder that your responsibility is not to try to work out somebody else's. We love doing that, right? We love working out somebody else's salvation. Let me tell you five ways you could work out your salvation. No, no, we work out our own salvation, listen, with fear and trembling. Now, Paul adds that. Because there is this 2 Corinthians 5 reality that every single one of us as believers will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the deeds that we've done in the body, whether good or bad. That is for believers, 2 Corinthians 5 says that. So there is this fear that we want to to use our life and, and, and give God the best. And there's this trembling, not only fear of God's holiness and righteousness, but this trembling, knowing my inadequacy and my weakness. So with great fear and trembling, I acknowledge my need. I acknowledge God's holiness. And I say, God, I don't want to give better effort to anything than I'm giving to you and your kingdom. It says, work out your salvation, sustained, strenuous effort to work out what God is working in. Salvation, listen, this process that God has taken us through absolutely demands an ongoing work of your will. But let me give you the other side of it. Salvation also demands an ongoing work of God. Okay, so two sides cannot be separated. Salvation demands an ongoing work of your will. You must decide by an act of the will that you are going to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Then on the other side, Salvation also demands an ongoing work of God. Write that down. And that's verse 13. So work out your salvation with fear and trembling for, this is significant, for. Why should you do this? Because it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. For it is God. You see, God is the decisive worker. And this is really significant. It's actually very encouraging that at the same time we're called to apply great effort into our relationship with Jesus Christ. There's this reminder 
that that's possible to do. Why? Because listen, church, God is at work in you. God is working in you. And it is God's work in you that makes your work possible. If it just ended with verse 12, impossible. But it starts with a therefore, meaning because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and because God has promised to continue to work in you, therefore, based upon those two things, then you work by sustained, strenuous effort of the Spirit-empowered will in your salvation. It is God, look at it, who works in you. Now, the word works is used twice, work out your salvation, which means this, this effort toward completion And then it's used here, for it is God who works in you. Two different words. The second word, work here, referring to God, is a word that means an energizing work. This is is great. An energizing work. Listen, you can't doze off yet. This is, we're getting to the good stuff here, how this all works together. So there's this sustained, ongoing effort. I'm going to continue to give my best to my relationship with God until it's complete. But then there's this other work that God is doing, which is an energizing work, meaning the only reason I'm able to do my work is because God is doing his work. So now my effort doesn't allow any room for pride because I'm only able to do that effort because of the effort of God, that God is energizing my effort. So no one can boast in their progress in the Lord because the only reason any of us have made progress is because God is energizing that work and allowing us to do it. The God who initiated the work is the God who continues to energize the work. See, it is God who works in you. It's a reference to the power of the Holy Spirit. That you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and then you will be my witnesses that God in his grace has put inside of you his very presence. The very spirit of God is in you and that spirit is working in you constantly. That spirit is working and convicting and encouraging and motivating and giving you the ability to do your work. Is working, listen, both to will and to work. Do you see that? Two things that the Spirit is doing in you, to will and to work. Meaning, God not only gives you the desire to do your work, but he gives you the ability to do your work. To work and to will. Why why does any of us have the willingness and the desire to walk with Jesus Christ? Because God put that desire in you. What gives me the power and the energy to do the things that God has called me to do? God is energizing the will and the ability to work. I mean, take 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Listen to what Paul says. Paul says, I worked harder than all of them, although not I, but the grace of God. Say, Paul, make up your mind. Who worked? Did you work or did God work? And Paul says, exactly I mean, listen to what Paul said. Paul said, I worked harder than all of them. Did Paul believe that walking with Jesus demanded work? Yes. You work. You give effort. You set your alarm. You wake up. You read your Bible. You pray. You share the gospel. Those are things that you do by an act of the Spirit-infused will. But then right as Paul says, listen, I worked harder than everybody else, he then says, well, yes, but It really wasn't me, it was the grace of God in me. 
So Paul then acknowledges, yes, I worked hard, and frankly, I worked harder than everybody else, but it's only because the grace of God allowed me to work. God is at work within you, giving you the will and the power to achieve his purposes. And the will has to come before the work. I mean, the work comes from a desire to do the things that are right, and it is God who is stirring up that desire and giving us the ability to do it. I think sometimes we think that the way this works is that God gets us started and then leaves us on our own. I mean, have you you ever taught a kid to ride a bike? I've done this a few times in my life. I I have some scars from the way I was taught to ride a bike, and so I uh, try to be careful with uh, teaching kids how to ride. You know how you do this, though. You get a kid on the bike, and you take off the training wheels, and if you let go, they're a goner, right? Like from the very moment, you've got to hold on. And then you start running beside of them, but they're the ones that has to steer and they have to pedal. Like both people have to do this. If they don't pedal and steer, it's not going to work. And if you don't hold on and help them, it's not going to work. And every analogy you could possibly use for what I'm talking about is going to fall short. But at the same time, this is what I think about, that somehow we try to think that our Christian life is God gets us on and he runs beside us for a little bit and then he just lets us go. And we're just wobbling everywhere and we think that's the Christian life. God, he gets us started, then he says, go, and I'll see you in glory. <laughs> Crash. <laughs> and frankly, because we viewed, we viewed salvation that way, what does happen? Crash, 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 crash. You get about five or six crashes, you're done riding your bike. There are people all over the church this morning that got saved and then just kind of thought God let go, and they crashed a few times, and they stopped working. Because they were not working within the power that God was giving them to work. And what Paul is saying is, listen, God is the one who started this and God is holding on and he's helping you. And as you put in your maximum effort, God is there and he's holding you and he's the one that is helping to see you all the way through until the end. And he's doing it all, listen, for his good pleasure. Because he receives incredible joy by watching you be conformed into the image of Christ. And because he has a plan, listen, he has a plan for your life and the way in which he wants you to look and the things he wants you to accomplish. You say, well, how do I accomplish the things that God wants me to accomplish? This is it right here. It is sustained, ongoing effort of your spirit-empowered will, knowing that it's because of God's grace that you are able to work or have the willingness to work. Let me just tell you how I think this kind of works itself out in life. Let me give you some personal examples. This beginning of this year, God gave me four words. They were just things that kept coming up in my daily Bible reading, and I just uh, really felt there were a few things God was saying to me. One of the words was kindness. Everywhere I was reading the Bible, I just kept seeing the kindness of God and the commands to be kind, and I really wanted this year to be a year in which I learned to be more kind. I wanted to be more kind to my wife and to my children, Uh, I was just beginning here. I wanted to display kindness to you. I just thought, Lord, I want my children to grow up and to know that, yes, dad was firm and all of those things, but but my father was kind. And it wasn't something I was sure they could say. And so I really wanted to work on kindness. Now, what do I do at that point? Well, what I do is I recognize that the only way I can ever be kind is if God gives me the grace to be kind. At the same time, I have to work on kindness. I have to recognize when I'm not kind and stop I have to recognize that there's moments in which I have a tendency to be less kind. 
And at those moments, I've got to go, wait, wait, wait a minute. No, 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 wait a minute. Okay, I know what I'm about to do here. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to choose by God's grace. Lord, would you help me to say something kind? But that doesn't just happen. That happens with work. I think about recently, particularly over the last couple of months, one of the things God continues to say to me is God continues to call me to greater prayer. I really feel like God is saying, Josh, there's incredible things I want to do, and it will be based upon what you receive from me and hear from me. You have to pray more than you've ever prayed before. So God speaks that to me, and I have a choice whether I pray or not. I mean, God is calling me to greater prayer, but I have the opportunity to respond. This is the way it works every day with us, is that God, who is working and willing in our hearts, is initiating things. He's speaking to us, and what he says is based upon what I'm initiating, go for it. I mean, this is how it works on Sunday morning. This is my philosophy of preaching. The word of God is being spoken. God is stirring in your heart. He's convicting you of something. He's calling you out of sin or into greater holiness. And what do you do? You respond. God's the one who started it. God's the one who's speaking to you. If you're feeling convicted of sin, that's not the devil. (laughs) That's not your flesh calling you to repent. If you feel a desire to greater holiness and righteousness, listen, that's God working in you, calling you to something greater. But at that moment, you must choose to respond, to use your spirit-empowered will to say, yes, Lord, I hear you. I will pray more. I will confess that sin. I will seek help. That's why we have an invitation every Sunday morning Because yes, I believe that God is the one who is working and without the spirit of God, nothing I say matters. But I also believe that when God speaks, you need to respond right then. That's how this process of sanctification works. God is working. He's stirring up your will. He's giving you ability all because of his pleasure and simply is asking you to respond to what he is initiating and will give you the strength to do. Now let me say one last thing about this and, and I'll be done. I want to go back to this distance between who I am and who I want to be. And I do find discouragement in that distance. I have a tendency to be hard on myself and I get frustrated with that. One of the things the Lord has taught me is this process of God initiating, speaking, and us responding, and us becoming the person God wants us to be, listen, is a very slow and lifelong process. It's just slow. Yes, we will become something better than we are by God's grace, but there are no magic secrets to this. We just, we just walk in obedience, moment by moment, day by day. The author that's helped me with the most with this is a man by the name of Eugene Peterson, and he has a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. His whole point is this, sanctification is keep doing the same things over and over and over for a long time. Here's what he says. He says, there is a great market today for religious experience in our world, but there is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. There is little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations called holiness. We all want to be this person. But it is not only God's 
objective to get us there, but to help us in the process to learn what it means to simply walk with him. And some days you feel like it, and some days you don't. And sometimes it's fast, and sometimes it's slow. And some days you win, and some days you lose. But what you do is you walk with God. You fall, you repent, you walk with God. You fall, you repent, you walk with God. And day by day, moment by moment, even though it doesn't seem like a ton of progress, you will look back and realize that you look much more like Jesus than you ever imagined possible. So let me ask you, based upon the two sides of that coin, this is a very, very important question. One of the primary ways you know that you're a believer is you sense God doing that work in you. He's prompting you. He's given you a hunger and thirst for righteousness. I think about some of you seniors who are leaving and you're about to go to college, and I, I fear that given the, the culture that we've all been raised in, is that you might think that because you made a decision when you were five and got baptized, even though you've never had any desire for spiritual things, that you're fine. And I want to say to you, if that's your story, you're not fine. But one of the ways you know you have spiritual life is that you have hunger and thirst for righteousness. You sense God's stirring. You feel conviction. You feel desire. If none of those things are happening to you, I would beg you this morning, give your life to Christ. Any of you, if there's no desire for the things of God, there's no spiritual life. The other side of that, I want to say to some of you who know you're a follower of Christ, and listen, you've been hearing God prompt, are you responding in obedience? This morning, we're going to stand, and we're going to have a time of invitation in just a minute, and we're going to sing a song of surrender to the Lord. And I don't know whether you've really for the first time discovered you need to come to Christ, or you have discovered this morning that you have not been applying the effort that you need to, whatever it is, when we stand, would you come and make the most of these moments. Prayer partners are here. Pastors, men and women would love to greet you. There's a place for you just to get on your knees and pray. Whatever it is, some of you men maybe need to bring your families down here. Let's just pray. Let's respond to what the Spirit of God is saying.